In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Today, my guest on the show is Dave Farrow. Dave, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be out. Well, I tell you, Dave, I used to listen to a motivational speaker and he would start his speeches and he would say, if you're as excited as I am to hear what I have to say today, this is going to really be a great time. <laughs> and I am excited. I was actually introduced to you, I guess, by your marketing consultant. And first of all, when I look at your credentials and then when, you know, she tells me that you can speak to many topics including number one, how business owners can protect themselves from the quote unquote great resignation by having a thorough safety plan in place. Number two, the top three things business owners can do right now to improve their safety processes to prevent injuries. Number three, your experience working with global companies and how safety looks both different and similar around the world. And then finally, and this really intrigues me, what the opera, blacksmithing, and a degree in theology all have in common. <laughs> yes. I can't wait to dive into all that, but but let's back up for just a second. Dave, first of all, I'm in Houston, Texas. Everybody knows that who listens to this podcast on a regular basis, but I'm talking to you. Where are you right now? I'm up in Edmonton, Alberta today. I suspect you're getting better weather than we are. Well, I suspect you're probably right. In fact, I checked the weather in Edmonton and I believe it's about minus 11 Fahrenheit there right now. Yes, I'd have to check the translation between that and Celsius, but I do know this. I was riding my motorbike last week, and the other morning when I got up, there was snow on it. So that's the end of that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in this transitional time of the year right now. It can't decide whether it wants to stay winter or turn spring, you know. So, however, I've been trying to get this recording scheduled for quite a while now, and I haven't been able to nail you down because you've been somewhere that's even a little bit colder than that recently, haven't you? Yes, I had an opportunity to go up to Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories for six weeks to do some work on a mine reclamation. So that was interesting because it was 12-hour shifts for six weeks. So quite a long shift, and it was an interesting place to work for sure. And a whole lot colder? Yeah, we were routinely down to minus 40 overnight and during the day. So that's really hard on equipment and really hard on people. You definitely don't leave any skin uncovered. <laughs> that's for sure. Okay, so Dave, you're a Canadian registered safety professional, which is CRSP. You hold an occupational health and safety certificate from the University of Alberta, and you're also a registered emergency medical responder. And Currently, you work with the Canadian Society of Safety Engineering and the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology's Occupational Health and Safety Diploma Program. You've been in a safety business a long time. Quite a while. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it, but occasionally you look over your shoulder and go, wow, that's been a long time. It's been 25 years now. <laughs> well, as I said at the beginning, I really am excited to hear your insights because this is an HSE podcast. So of course you've got health, safety, and the environment, but, and we talk a lot about, especially the environment these days, but I mean, our focus is intro to our show says uh, we're interested in everyone coming home safely. And we also believe that safety and 
HSE isn't just something for a purely HSE professional, but everybody from the CEO down should care about and be involved and want to learn all they can about HSE. Now, you mentioned you were up there in the Northwest Territories and you were on a some kind of mining project. Is your focus more oil and gas or is it more varied or what? You know, that's kind of a good question. Most of my career for the first 20 years was oil and gas being Alberta, right? Big places like Suncor or Syncrude, CNRL really used a whole lot of safety people. There was a bit of a career pivot there about five years ago where I got a chance to work on an underground tunneling project in northern BC. And really, a lot of the work I've been doing has been underground since then. So I was out there for that. And I was out in Sudbury on a nickel project. And that was really interesting because I found myself two kilometers underground, which I guess I never thought that I would enjoy that, but I really did and didn't find it claustrophobic. You just don't want to think about how much rock is between you and the surface, I guess. <laughs> so you really do have global experience. A little bit. Well, mostly Canadian. As far as global, I have done some programs and procedures for out-of-country projects, but physically I've remained in the country here. Okay. All right. Well, then let's jump into it here. Let's take this first bullet point, how business owners can protect themselves from the quote-unquote great resignation by having a thorough safety plan in place. And this term great resignation is gaining a lot of traction, but what do you mean by that? And let's explore that a little bit. Sure. Well, yeah, the great resignation. It's interesting how this kind of came out of nowhere and became a real thing. huh? Some of it, I think, has to do with some of the changes of COVID. People were often staying at home or losing jobs or jobs were changed to work at home. And I think a lot of people had a lot of time to look at their careers and look at their jobs and do a little soul searching and thinking, is this really where I want to work? And is this really what I want to do? Is it time to go back to school? Should I change careers? And I think that, especially here in Canada, where the government was giving out to CERB, they called it, uh, it was a $2,000 a month stipend for people that ran out of work. It suddenly gave people a whole lot of options to try new things and get new mobility. So a lot of movement. Okay. So with that movement, and if you're having new people come into new careers and that sort of thing, I guess that makes, if you want to keep them safe, then I guess you really need to have a thorough safety plan in place, right? Yeah. Well, there are kind of two aspects. One is with the new people coming in, you certainly have to train them and keep them safe. But the other thing that we'll find is that a company that doesn't have a thorough safety program will be viewed as their employees as not caring. And we'll start to see more people voting with their feet and leaving. And I have seen that with some projects and with some employers. People are just saying, nope, I'm done and I'm out. So making people feel like they're important and that they are valued is definitely a big part of employee retention. And if you're working for a company that signals that they don't care and they don't care if you're injured, you're definitely not going to keep in place. That's a great point. You know, Dave, for those of you listening, that's almost worth the price of admission today. I think this is a great paradigm shift. But my grandfather was a roughneck, you know, on oil rigs, like in the 1930s and 1940s, you know, and wow, they yeah. just, you know, it was a dangerous job. They didn't have safety plans in place. And these guys, in fact, they called my grandfather toughy. It was a play on the word tough, you know, these guys, you know, they put up with that, but people aren't going to put themselves in harm's way like that for no reason at all anymore. And that's a great point about, you know, people 
looking at whether or not you care about them in various different ways, but especially safety. Oh, you're right. Yeah. The world's really changed. You know, 1930s, 40s, 50s, it was very hierarchical. And now young people are sort of expecting a workplace that's fun to work in and maybe has a good break room and beer in the fridge. You know, it's a a very, (laughs) you know, in some cases, some of the big companies even have break rooms with beer in the fridge, right? It's from a health and safety point of view, I wouldn't do that on a high risk site, but uh, you'll see that sometimes with the computer programmers and things, right? Okay. All right. So, so it's been a long, long time ago because when I was a teenager was a long, long time ago, but I actually lived, some people who listen to this program on a regular basis, we interview people from Canada every once in a while. I actually lived in Lloydminster, Alberta, Canada, which is about 150 miles, you call it down the road or up the road, I'm not sure, from Edmonton. We could say east. <laughs> yeah, well, that's east. true. That's true. Yeah, 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 it definitely is east. I call it the grain capital of the world is just miles and miles and miles of grain fields, lots of great duck hunting. The Husky refinery is there. And someone told me if I were to go there today, I wouldn't even recognize how fast it's grown. And Lloydminster, like the town here in Texas called Texarkana, is a border town. Half the town is in Alberta, half of it's in Saskatchewan, just like Texarkana, half of it's in Texas and half of it's in Arkansas. But, you know, Canadians probably like their beer a little bit more than Americans. They almost rival Germans, you know, as far as that goes. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. And we, we also find beer in the break rooms of most of the places here in the United States anyway. So No, uh, when I say that, you kind of see that in some of the very administrative places where they're especially trying to get the young hipster crowd like computer programmers and things like that. We wouldn't see it on my usual industries, which are, you know, manufacturing. and uh, Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, I want to make yeah. sure we clear that up. So <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't want to tell. Yeah, Kennedy, you can drink beer on the job. No, not my intent. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, the whole welcoming workplace, some of them go to extreme amounts to make them feel very welcome. And you mentioned duck hunting. We do like our hunting up here in Canada too. And, you know, kind of a fun aside is I actually teach the Alberta Hunter Education course and the government's firearm safety courses up here too. So, you know, just another little weird thing in my pocket. Well, and when they first instituted hunter safety programs in the state of Texas, I was in the first class to be an instructor for that. We definitely have that in common. Okay, so the top three things business owners can do right now to improve their safety processes to prevent injuries. You got a top three? Yeah, you know, and oddly enough, the first one isn't really a safety process. It's kind of an all-around process. I would say plan. Because, you know, if we look at a job that has good quality, good safety, they're on budget, they're on time, they're making money, people are smiling – The one common denominator that you see in all of those is they've planned their job from the start to the finish. So they're not running out of gear. They're not going, we need the emergency courier to send this out because we're out of plywood. You know, things are planned. Things are in place. We have a plan. I'd say that is really, really key. So that's kind of my number one. I like that. I like that. Okay. Yeah, because when you fly by the seat of your pants, that's when things are going to happen that you're not expecting, you're not prepared for it, you're not paying attention. That's when the incidents are going to happen. Yeah. So oftentimes we'll say, you know what, show me your process, plan your process, show me how you would do this with maximum efficiency and profit. And when you have that little spread flow diagram done, now we're going to go back into the process. We're going to look at potential safety issue points and we're going to revise that, putting the safety stoppages in there and still give you the most efficient plan that you can, but with the safety stuff. So it works really well. 
one of the things we like to get away from is people kind of think of safety as a separate entity from production. And it's really not. It's really a case of safe production or safe producing or however you want to say it. Safety is not really a standalone as much as an embedded process. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This episode is sponsored by M-Link, the experts in custom e-learning solutions. Unlike generic online training courses, M-Link builds high-quality content to fit your unique learning requirements and align with your exact business goals. Since 1990, M-Link has won more than 50 awards, and they've worked with high-profile companies like FedEx, Microsoft, Cisco, Pizza Hut, and Mary Kay. M-Link produces a wide variety of e-learning media, instructor-led, character animation, gamification, performance simulation, and it can all be mobile for today's dispersed workforce. If your team needs to grow and transform in a competitive environment, then have a look at M-Link, where they are linking mind and media to improve human performance. Learn more at mlink.com, M-L-I-N-K-T-E-C-H.com. That's a great point. It's one we try to make here all the time. That was what I was talking about earlier when I said, you know, this podcast isn't just for quote unquote HSE professional because HSE is, should be, as you said, embedded into everything. And whether you're in the C-suite or whether you're, you know, drilling manager or engineer or whatever, you know, that's, you know, safety's got to be embedded and be a top priority. So that's a great point. So what's number two? You know, number two, I like to throw training in there. We want to make sure our people are trained. We want to make sure that our people are competent. Too often we make assumptions on people. You know, my trade way back was uh, I learned to be a carpenter from my father. So I learned on houses, right? A small Italian outfit, framing a house. So if you were to take me as a carpenter, as a house framer, send me up to a big oil sand site. And now we're working on gang forms for a great big concrete for maybe a coker base. Would I be competent, even though ticketed? Absolutely not. I'd never seen one. (laughs) You know, we never want to make assumptions about people's training and competency. And any money we put into training, I think, is money well spent. That's a really good point, how you just put that money well spent. You know, if you have a great safety program, it doesn't really cost. It's an investment. You will get a return on that because it costs you a whole lot more to have, you know, an unsafe workplace in more ways than one. Sure. And on the training side, if you've got people that are competent, let's say you're a heavy equipment operator, you might even pick up a little bit on your quality and your speed and production side too from that training. So it's a win all the way around. Exactly. Okay. So number three. Okay. The last one there is the old, you know, and everybody knows this one. It's the old, what gets measured gets done, right? And unless there's a measurement, unless there's a check in place, I would not count on anything being done the way we expect it to. And I especially see this with small contractors, right? Quite often people will bring me in for a large project. You know, it's a billion dollars or half a billion dollars worth. And there's always a requirement to get some smaller contractors in that are local maybe, or maybe certain type of content. And what we find is they'll go out to someone else like me and they'll spend X number of thousand dollars, get a really good safety program built. And then they'll use that to bid. And then they might not ever open that thing again. So... (laughs) Yeah, that's a great point that I actually thought about that when you mentioned the first one about planning. Yeah, everybody throws in a, you know, that's got to obviously be part of the plan. You know, we got to have, you know, in fact, I can't submit this bid, you know, unless I can show them a safety 
program. And so all I've done is I've called up one of the, I won't mention their names and I'm not disparaging them, but you know, they charge you four or $500 to ride a boiler plated, you know, safety plan. And so you get that and, you know, you've got a copy of it that you can carry around with you in, in your truck to the site. If that's what you need to do, you've got a digital copy so you can send it to this company you're trying to you know, to bid and everything. But like you said, you've never opened it up and read it. That's not what needs to happen. Yeah. And, you know, even to take it one further, even if you go and get the greatest safety plan ever written, that's still not any type of guarantee of success at all. You can get a great safety plan from consultants, from your local construction association, whatever. But I find we really live and die on our execution. A very simple, basic program executed perfectly is far better than a complicated program that we kind of do halfways, right? So simplicity, I think, is a big key. That's a good point. Okay, so you said plan, train, and measure. That's PTM. Measure. PTM. Yes. We might could do some of that, Dave. All right, so you said you have some experience with you know global companies and that sort of thing. I'm not sure how this relates, how safety looks both different and similar around the world. I mean, I would think safety is safety no matter where you are. So it's got to be similar. You see any kind of differences that are either good or bad in other places or anything like that? Yeah. You know, I could maybe speak to my jurisdiction here a little bit, but yeah, we find when I'm dealing with big global companies, for the most part, they are jumping on the, you know, the new ISO standard for safety, 14,001, right? And when I deal with smaller local companies, typically they're looking at the provincial core or certificate of recognition here. So they tend to be laid out a little different and there are some bits and pieces of different elements in the two. When you're dealing with the two, sometimes they don't speak the same language. So one, for example, management of change is massive when it comes to ISO 14001, right? Management of change is pretty important. On the core manuals, we often don't see so much. So sometimes you kind of have to know which group you're dealing with if you're looking for certain things. Yeah, I think that's pretty much a pretty good little synopsis there. Okay. All right. All right. Well, then finally, and I'm just dying to hear about this, I got these, you know, like I said, I got these bullet points from your marketing consultant. <laughs> you know, that's funny in itself. I never thought I'd see myself with a publicist or a marketing consultant, and yet here we are. But- well, in fact, <laughs> I was going to come to that as we closed out the show, and I'll mention it again then, but let me go ahead and let's talk about that. You actually have your own company. It's called DF Safety, right? Yeah, or I guess more technically, Dave Vero Safety Limited. Okay. Okay. Yeah, All right. There's a small story behind that is that I tried to actually register three different names up here, you know, and they kept saying, no, that's taken. No, it's too close. I finally got frustrated and named it Dave Vero Safety Limited because no one else would have it. So, and now I'm looking like I've kind of humbly named a company after myself. So I kind of have to live with it. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I love that statement that says, he who tooteth not his own horn may never hear his own horn tooted. So <laughs> I suppose. So maybe it was a little inadvertent, but in a moment of frustration, that's what I called it. Okay. So what does the opera blacksmithing and a degree in theology all have in common? <laughs> you know, it's kind of entertaining because she's thrown together a few of my hobbies. It's funny. I'm really big on the opera. I love going. I love seeing it, which is really strange because I play the banjo in a bluegrass band too. So, you know, I'm hitting all the Alberta redneck boxes here. Blacksmithing is a bit of a hobby of mine. I went down and was trained in Nate, and I have a actually a master's degree in theology from Taylor Seminary. 
So I was a bit of a part-time pastor. So, you know, there's some threads that kind of run through all of those things. You know, and if we talk safety, oddly enough, you sometimes think some things are safe and some aren't. But if we look at the opera, you would think that that's a pretty safe profession, right? Right. But you actually end up with injuries in opera. If you look at the way they're moving, and in some cases, they're doing a lot of things with swordsmanship, right? It is actually a fairly high-risk type of a thing. So stuff you wouldn't think of. There's actually a training and competency thing that's very much involved in opera and even ballet. And I remember watching, I was actually, I think in this case, it was the Alberta Ballet. And they were talking a little bit about, they had a little talk before the Three Musketeers. And the person who was doing the speaking was actually a trainer in swordsmanship. And he was talking about how he would train all these folks before they would go out and do it. He said, one thing that kind of struck me as interesting, he said, the guys who were doing ballet became fantastic swordsmen in no time because they, the footwork was all the same. But he said the opera people in general were just hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I actually heard one time the great running back Earl Campbell took ballet, and I've heard other athletes have done the same thing. And it's you would think those two don't go together, but they actually complement each other. Well, Dave, I've enjoyed this conversation. Again, I appreciate you coming on the show. We will be sure to include your LinkedIn contact information and website in the show notes. And just in case anybody in Canada is listening, well, for everybody who's listening, you know, Dave's, as we've discussed, he's available no matter where you are. But for those in Canada, maybe we'll put your marketing consultants contact information as well. We'll put all this in the show notes so anyone listening, you know, can contact you directly. Finally, and as always, we put in the show notes my LinkedIn contact info where you can message me. Please let me know what you're enjoying about the show, suggestions for content you might like to hear. As always, if you're looking for a speaker for a conference or meeting, you can contact me about having one from our OGGN Speakers Bureau, including Mark LeCour and yours truly. I want to thank everyone for listening. Tune in again next week for another episode of Oil & Gas HSE, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. Like us on LinkedIn and use all your social networking to tell your friends about us. We'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.